Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, I am the Trumpian anti-Trump. This is Free Exchange from CapEx. I'm Oliver Wiseman, CapEx's editor. Is Rory Stewart 2019's Nick Clegg? Scottish Tory leader Ruth Davidson thinks so. Like Clegg, she said of this unlikely star, he is changing political communication. But, she added, like Nick, I fear the electorate will appreciate him, yet vote for someone else. Whether or not you think this week's guest is the best candidate to be Conservative leader, Rory Stewart has been a breath of fresh air in the last week or so, escaping Westminster to tour the country and talk politics with whoever will listen. With his social media videos, he's cut out the middleman and inserted himself into the conversation about the future of his party and his country. Now, most of his colleagues expect these walking tours to be an entertaining distraction before they settle down to the serious task of selecting Britain's next Prime Minister. But Stewart isn't running to be an inoffensive amuse-bouche. He means business. I met up with him in St. James's Park to talk about everything from social care and Brexit to opium pipes and Donald Trump. I started by asking him for his diagnosis of why the two major parties took such a hammering in last month's European elections. So, Rory, I want to start by asking you about very recent political history, um, the European elections and um, the really dramatic change in the popularity of the, the, the two major parties. Uh, and I sort of want to start by asking you, you what your sort of diagnosis was of, uh, of why, why that's happened. Well, I think anyone who pretends they completely understand it is probably bemusing themselves and fooling the world. It, it's an extraordinary change for two parties like the Conservative Party and the Labour Party that have dominated British politics mm-hmm. for decades on decades to find themselves in this situation. And it is a revolutionary challenge to our political system. We need to respond in a completely different way. What isn't going to work is for us to, as the Conservative Party, try to slowly lumber over and settle ourselves down in the territory of Nigel Farage. In fact, some of the recent polling has been extraordinary. We've just been looking at polling that shows that even if Boris going on a no-deal ticket became Prime Minister, it has almost no difference, makes almost no difference to whether people would vote for the Brexit Party. So I think it's something like 17% say they would be more likely to vote for the Brexit Party and 18% say less likely. The strategy has to be to actually re-engage voters, to win back trust, Mm -hmm. win back a sense of dynamism. And yes, that's about delivering Brexit, but credibly delivering Brexit, not promising a no-deal Brexit, which is not going to result in anything other than delay and uncertainty. But it's also about working out 
what is the shape of the new politics in Britain? Is it possible to have a politics which isn't, to be blunt, populist, but instead is actually intelligent, thoughtful, humble when necessary, and able to really excite people, whether that's on climate and the environment, whether it's about building two million beautiful new houses, or whether it's about rethinking Britain's place in the world, rethinking how we engage with Europe and the United States over the next 15 years. That's complicated foreign policy questions. That's shifting our weight from the Middle East into Asia. That's thinking about the Western Balkans. That's restructuring our intelligence and defense forces. But it's also about thinking about the environment. I mean, we're sitting here in the middle of St. James's Park, and your listeners can probably hear uh, the birdsong going out in the background. It's the most extraordinary time of year. We are in the middle of one of the most beautiful countries on Earth, and part of the story of our nation needs to be how we combine it, all the geeky policy things we want to mm. talk about, all the stuff we want to talk about on tax and spend. We're just harnessing that love and confidence in these great trees that surround me and the soil of our country and our history and our traditions in our conservatism. But I mean, I mean, that's a very, you've been a very, very broad answer, a very broad vision. Um, but if you'll forgive me for going back to a bit of the nitty gritty, um, your, your kind of view on the Brexit um, trouble that your party finds itself in is not, you know, from what I'm hearing, it's not about a given version of Brexit that people want or, or anything like that. It's, 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 a, it's a sort of broader issue to do with politics and trust. Yeah. People voted to leave the European Union. They expected to leave in March. I and some of my colleagues put heart and soul into trying to get us out by March by voting for every Brexit option that came on the table. And we were let down. And ironically, the people who prevented us leaving were people who've been peddling this completely unrealistic fantasy of a no-deal Brexit. And unrealistic in every dimension. Unrealistic economically, unrealistic in terms of its trade theory, unrealistic in terms of the future of the Conservative Party, but most importantly of all, unrealistic because it's a recipe for further delay. This whole attempt to push for a no-deal Brexit has just stopped us leaving the European Union. It's trapped us against the democratic will of the people. It's an extraordinary contortion. It's not democratic. It's not patriotic. And above all, it's not doing what people asked, which is to leave the European Union. So um, w what is your version of how we, how we leave at the end of October then? Because, I mean, the no-dealers say... At least, we, at least we'll, we can definitively leave then. But, but I mean, they can't definitively leave then because Parliament won't let them mm -hmm. leave then. And we've seen that. This was played out but, but before March. But Parliament w also won't let um, you know, the, the deal on the table um, but become... You know, it won't agree to the deal on the table. So, so, sort of so what's, we, what's the Rory Stewart plan for, for, for getting that okay, through? So we keep coming back to the fundamental, which is that we live in a parliamentary democracy. And the fact that we live in a parliamentary democracy means that whatever you do has to go through Parliament. The key mm -hmm. to this is to unlock Parliament. Mm -hmm. All these people who are saying they're going to go to Europe and negotiate a different deal are misleading people. They're not going to be able to negotiate a different deal. All these people who say they're going to be able to get no deal are misleading people. They're not going to be able to get no deal. The key is, how do you move from, and it's brutal, it's about numbers, how do you move from 270 votes in Parliament towards 315 mm -hmm. votes in Parliament? Right? How do you get those 45 people across the room? And therefore, the key question is unlocking Parliament. And I'm the only candidate who's being honest about the fact there are no new unicorns that are kind of come prancing with their, their horn glinting in the sunlight out of Brussels. There's no unicorn that allows you to charge to a no-deal Brexit 
I'm the only person who's focusing on unlocking Parliament. And, and how would you unlock Parliament? I'd unlock Parliament through a Brexit assembly. I'd unlock Parliament in exactly the same way that Ireland unlocked the issue of abortion. And the reason why this makes sense, and actually this maybe CapEx is a good forum to talk about this, because it's something that maybe I'm struggling to communicate, but hopefully I'm getting better at. In the end, the problem on Brexit is a clash between direct and indirect democracy. A referendum, plebiscite, gave an instruction, we're leaving the European Union, and a parliament composed of whips, parties, constituencies, which really is designed to say no. Not yes, but no. How do you unlock that? Well, you need to see this as the great moment of democratic transformation. You need to grasp the democratic opportunity of Brexit and realize that Parliament is very, very good at doing some things, but what it cannot do constitutionally is respond directly to the result of a referendum. A citizens' assembly is exactly the way of combining the power of direct and indirect democracy. It's the way to unlock this problem. For those who don't know what it is, the Brexit assembly would be like a jury. It would be composed of people selected literally randomly, to be representative of every different part of the United Kingdom. They would focus together for weeks with experts in a room on the details of the Brexit deal, and they would make recommendations. And it's an act of democratic trust. It is direct democracy, in the sense that these are people chosen directly from the people. But unlike a referendum, it is thinking discussing, getting into the details. It's not a black and white choice in and out. And unlike Parliament, it's not caught up with the very necessary and important, but in this context, ultimately frustrating structures of political parties, whips and constituencies. It's giving people a chance to look at these things on their own terms, educate themselves, move towards a compromise, make recommendations. And when that happens, that's then what unleashes Parliament. That would be my challenge as Prime Minister. These are the recommendations to the Assembly. OK, Parliament, let's get this through. I, I want to pause to allow you to eat a bit of your Thank delicious you. looking breakfast. <laughs> it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, one of the interesting things about, or one of the interesting questions about Parliament at the moment is that for all its, um, for all the fr- po- you know, po- popular frustration at Parliament, um, you know there is a there is a theory that it's actually pretty representative of of where voters are on Brexit. In that, Parliament is divided and split, just as the country is divided and split. So, you know, if the People's Assembly is supposed to square that circle, isn't there a, isn't there just a chance that um, you know that the fifty citizens that went in as hard Brexiteers come out as hard Brexiteers, and the, the ones who want a second referendum? come out saying their proposal is a second referendum? Of course, there's a chance of that. Of course, there's a chance of that. But it's a very small chance because every time these things have been organised anywhere around the world, what happens is that over time, people educate themselves and they move towards the centre ground. They move towards compromise. So, yes, you're right. Theoretically, we could go in with 50 people in favour of a no-deal Brexit, 50 Mm. people in favour of a second referendum and leave with the same thing. But that is to have absolutely no confidence at all in the British people, people's rational processes, their ability to listen, their ability to learn, their ability to change their minds. I believe in this country. I believe in citizens. I believe in juries. I believe in voters. This is the great democratic challenge. This is the most exciting constitutional possibility for unlocking Mm. the fundamental impasse. And the problem with Parliament is it isn't really set up to go in detail through the different options. It isn't really set up to spend weeks educating itself about the details of withdrawal agreement. In fact... Well, that is sort of what it was supposed to be doing. I mean, is, if you're, you know, you're a conservative and isn't sort of the Edmund Burke vision of what an MP's job is kind of, kind of about that. It's about deliberation on behalf of your constituents and, and so on. Parliament is a very powerful and interesting thing, but it's set up in quite a different way to that. It's not... Uh, to push back on Edinburgh. It's not a deliberative assembly. Mm-hmm. The closest we've got to that is probably the House of Lords. The House of Commons has small bits of it that do deliberation. Maybe parliamentary select committees do a bit of that. But even that, and I was the chair of the Defence Select Committee, it, it's doing it on the basis of a couple of hours of meetings a week. Right? On the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, when I was on it, uh, I think I was the only member of the committee who'd ever worked outside the United Kingdom. So... The House of Commons actually is built around constituencies, it's built around whips, it's built around parties. It's not built around people spending three weeks locked in a room, getting their heads around the detail of Brexit. I have occasionally challenged colleagues to say, will you come up on stage with me and let me question you about the details, the difference between the single market and the customs union for only three minutes. And almost no colleague has been prepared to take that challenge. And in fact, I had people just in the minutes before the indicative votes asking me whether a customs union involved free movement of people. Now, that's not a, actually a criticism, really, of colleagues. It's the reality of the thing, that these people are not, don't have the time and don't have the structural incentives to approach policy in that way. A Brexit assembly, however, would, because freed of the parties, the whips, the constituencies, given the weeks to think about nothing other than the details 
of a Brexit resolution, they would be able to apply logic and rationality and work their way towards compromise in a way that Parliament can't. So you're making a very persuasive and passionate case for for compromise um, in politics generally and a a specific mechanism for for achieving that compromise. Um, And even if the people in the room, you know, went in as no dealers and second referendumers and came out um, willing to compromise, surely the the, the kind of weight of the evidence in terms of the reception um, they would get out in the country, the weight of the evidence suggests that they would be, um, you know, their decision would be digested by exactly the same sort of divided politics that that makes Theresa May's deal unpopular and makes, you know, any kind of solution unpopular. Well, if you elected me as Prime Minister, that would all transform, wouldn't it? Because my entire manifesto, the entire principle on which I'm standing, is that of coming together as a country, of finding the energy in the centre ground, of getting beyond Brexit by compromising. So... The political context in which that assembly met would be the political context of a prime minister who had committed to accept the recommendations of that assembly, a political context in which I would hope the leader of the opposition and the other political parties had come forward to accept the recommendations of that assembly, and a political context in which when the recommendations were received, and I as prime minister, using the mandate that I had from the Conservative Party, with that additional 45 votes, which may have to come from across the House, take those recommendations through the House and to the country, it is in the spirit of compromise. People will know what they're voting for. They'll know that they're voting for a stable settlement which will allow us to go forward into the future and that they have made a choice to avoid a no-deal Brexit and they've made a choice to avoid a second referendum and revoking. That's why this leadership campaign is so important because it sets the rules of the game. You're quite right. If you were to do it now... If you were to do it with uh, Theresa May as Prime Minister, if you were to do it potentially with some of the other candidates as Prime Minister, it would achieve absolutely nothing. But if you do it with a Prime Minister whose entire campaign is about healing, is about unifying, is about getting a pragmatic, moderate, stable settlement to unlock all the potentials for the British economy in Europe and indeed with the United States and China, then I think it really can work. Um, I just want to uh, just slightly mess with the narrative a little bit and, and, and backtrack slightly to, to, to the withdrawal agreement um, and, and the last effort to get it through the House, which wasn't a million miles away um, from passing. And, and you were out there as one of the sort of most dogged um, advocates for that deal on, on, on TV and radio and, and so on. Um, and I presume in the, in the sort of corridors of the House of Commons too. But um, what's your explanation of why you didn't get over the line? Because I, I think that's quite important to understand kind of what happens next. Fundamentally, it didn't get over the line because although people like Lisa Nandy, the Labour MP from Wigan, want to leave the European Union, and there are over 70 Labour MPs who don't want a second referendum, they come from leave voting seats, they want to respect the result of the referendum, they couldn't bring themselves to vote for the deal. Not because the details of the deal. As everybody will have noticed, the Labour position and the Conservative position were about a quarter of an inch apart on almost everything. It was because of the way that the House of Commons works. We've got an extremely um, adversarial system. We've got whips, we've got political parties, we've got constituencies that are very unforgiving on compromise. So that's where I've arrived at the idea of the Brexit Assembly. And it is important to remember that people like Lisa have themselves endorsed the idea of the Brexit Assembly. Now, that's very powerful because if I'm producing a Brexit Assembly 
which doesn't only reflect my political vision, but the political vision of the key Labour MPs that would have to come behind the recommendations, then I am beginning to achieve something I couldn't before. The second thing I'd say is, you're absolutely right, I've been the most passionate advocate for the withdrawal agreement. It is the only deal, right? All these other deals are unicorns. This is the 500-page document. And if these other candidates are saying that in the end they're going to try to take the withdrawal agreement through, and I'd like to know, is that what they're saying? That's what I'm saying, right? I'm saying I'm trying to take the withdrawal agreement through. What are they saying? What do these other people say? Okay, you've ruled out no deal, but are you taking the withdrawal agreement through? Are you taking the backstops through? Right? What are you trying to do here? And if they are, how can they possibly advocate for it when they've been so silent over the last few months? The only person, literally the only person in this race, who can make the argument I'm making and advocate for it is the one person in this race who has spent the last nine months sincerely and consistently advocating for exactly this deal. Right, right. Let's um, let's um, talk about about the leadership race. Um, I also I want to start by asking you about the, the not about the substance of these issues, but the way in which you've approached the race, which is you've you've got out there and. Um, iPhone in hand or in one of your advisor's hands, depending on who, which newspaper you read. Um, you've been talking to, 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 to voters up and down the country. So maybe you could just explain, you know, why you opted for that approach and uh, kind of what you've learned from, from your, um, your walks around all sorts of parts of, of Britain. Well, I've been astonished. I'll give you an example. I tried to do an interview on social care with the Daily Telegraph wanted to unleash a new policy that I was very excited by. And they weren't frankly interested. They were more interested in the fact that 15 years ago at a wedding in Iran, I smoked opium. <laughs> so I thought, OK, I'll take a risk and I'll put it up on social media. That post has, I think, now had more than a million views, which is something like five times the entire subscription of the Daily Telegraph. So this is the video talking about social care rather than the yeah, OPM you, d- no, you did video, or did not video, talk, video yeah. talking about social care. Yeah. Well, so that's an earnest three and a half minute video talking about social care. Another video that I've done talking through the details of a problem in no deal Brexit has now got over two million views. Mm-hmm. Right, posts in the last five days I think has had over 12 million impressions. What I'm learning through this process is that My disadvantage, which is that newspapers like the Daily Telegraph um, appear to be, to put it politely, uh, not very interested in carrying my policies, may not be a problem in the modern world because actually I'm touching voters. And that matters because all our internal polling, including actually external polling now, is beginning to show that I am outperforming the other candidates in terms of the ability to get the key groups on side. Younger people on side, people in Scotland on side, people in cities on side, Labour and Lib Dem swing voters on side. So my strategy has been not to sit in Westminster trying to cut deals with colleagues, Mm -hmm. but make the really big point, the only point that matters, which is that we need to be able to win the next election. Otherwise, you end up with Jeremy Corbyn. And what I want to demonstrate to them is the way to win the next election is to do exactly the opposite of what they're doing. The way to win the next election is to rule out no deal Brexit. The way to win the next election is to stop producing misleading stories about renegotiating with Europe. The way to win the next election, above all, is to listen to people and get on with things. It's not 40-page policy documents. It's 
if people care about hospital car parking charges, as they should, because you don't want to go and visit a dying parent in hospital and come out and get a car parking charge, we can abolish it literally tomorrow. Right? We don't need to produce huge policy papers on it. If I want to get 120 million trees in the ground, I can get them in the ground over the next four months. We need a government that listens. We need a government that gets on with things. So, I mean, do you think the current government hasn't been kind of energetic enough in, on, on the domestic front then? Our governments haven't been energetic enough for years and years and years. But it's, that's a fundamental problem. And I, I say this with enormous respect to somebody who comes from a think tank tradition. The problem is not policy with a capital P. The problem isn't what we talk about. The problem is what we do. We don't do things. We're not grasping these problems. We're not grasping adult social care. We're not grasping housing. We're talking endlessly about these things. And on, on, I mean, on the, the point about your, you know, your social care video and the, the, the reach you have direct, you know, going straight to voters, the interesting thing about that, I think, is that the, you know, the, the people who have been very good at that in recent political history are the, the Nigel Farage's and the Donald Trump's of this world, the ones who, you know, have arguably, you know, put forward a, a, a rather partisan and, and, you know, it's sort of the opposite of the Roy Stewart case. So, yeah, I am the Trumpian anti-Trump. <laughs> I am a... I am a... I don't know what I am. I'm, I'm some strange astrophysical form, which is the opposite of Trump, but it's using Trump's methods. Of course I am. Right? I'm refusing to communicate through the normal media. I'm refusing to play the normal games of Westminster. And I'm going out directly to people. But I'm going out to people as a passionate moderate. I'm going out to people who believe passionately in the power of the center ground. I believe in bringing people together, not dividing them. And Actually, I think there's an energy there that Trump can never harness. There's an energy there that populism can never harness because the center ground contains the energies of both sides. And it's by containing the energies of both sides that you have a settlement that can actually be sustained. If you make the risk of lurching to right or left, the new government comes in and undoes everything that you've tried to achieve. But the, you know there 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 are um, there, there are people who have, have you know described themselves as the as the radical centre before as I believe you have and often they say that and then they come up with sort of more of the same and the, and, the, and the same policies that okay. their so predecessors. Who, are. So who who in this race is proposing to finish the unfinished revolution on social care? It's the biggest issue mm-hmm. in our country. Our demography is changing. We're all going to get older. We don't have an idea about how to deal with it. We've got a completely broken system where people are spending. 15 minutes a day looking after elderly people. We set up an NHS that deals with sickness. We haven't dealt with it. Right? Which of them are talking about that? Which of them really has the emotional instincts, the record, the drive to make Britain the centre of the global conversation about environment and climate change? Which of them is going to make sure that the next climate summit, the next Paris, takes place in London. Which of them actually is comfortable reaching out to different communities in Britain? Which of them is actually going to come with me to the mosque in Woking? Which of them is going to come with me to Lewisham Market? Which of them are going to come and explain to people embarking why they don't feel safe on their streets? And above all, which of them is going to do things? Do things. I mean, being radical... Is about action, action, not words. And, and, and on the actual areas, you mean, so social care is the number one issue. Um, if there was a sort of top five, or at top five um, areas that, that that need that, you know, um, dramatic action immediately, what, what would you what would you list? 
social care, education, and that includes mid-life education. So remember, AI and robotics is going to completely transform the nature of our workforce. So there are going to be a lot of people, sadly, in their 30s and 40s who are going to lose their jobs. I would put in place a one-year bursary to make sure that people, someone of my age, your age, who lost their job, would be able to study for a year and learn a different skill, get a different education. But we must also make sure that we invest in getting the best universities in the world. The way of getting ahead of AI and robotics is balancing the investment in vocational training with making sure we support the very smartest people in the world. I'd want to put, for example, DFID money into R&D and our best universities in order to transform light-spectrum technology, solar film. So I've talked about social care, talked about education. Third thing, climate and the environment, which comes directly out of that. This is literally a climate cataclysm. This is an emergency facing people. It's facing nature. We're going to lose potentially a million species by 2050. Fourth thing, safety, security on our streets. People do not feel safe on our streets. Right? We need to grip that. And we also need to think about our entire creaking, drug-filled, violent prison system. And the fifth thing is we need a politics that brings people together, that's genuinely kind, that's genuinely listens to everybody, listens to people who are pro-fox hunting and anti-fox hunting, listens to people who are pro-LGBT rights and people who are protesting against it. Listens to every dimension. I want to be out in Parliament Square with Marxist anti-capitalism protesters who are ranting at me about climate change. And I also want to be sitting having serious conversations in the City of London. And I want to do it in a way that protects Britain's reputation for stability and competence, politically and economically. And that's why I'm committed to avoiding a no-deal Brexit. Well, on the, on the subject of you know, how we do politics, I, the final question for you, Rory, is on, on your leadership um, uh, competitors and what you have been uh, encouraged by and what you've been disappointed by in sort of how the race has gone so far. Not, not your side of things, but how, how they've handled it. Well, I'm afraid from a, a um, slightly self-interested point of view, I've been enormously encouraged by their extraordinary... Uh, unwillingness to engage at all on social media. I mean, as far as I can see, none of them are managing to get more than 50,000 or 100,000 hits on a single thing. And some of them are getting sort of 10, 15,000. So while I'm conducting a conversation ultimately with 2 million people, uh, they are trying to talk to much, much smaller audiences. I don't know why they've made that decision. I don't know why they don't want to reach to larger audiences. I don't understand how they think they can win an election without reaching to larger audiences. I suspect their answer back to me must be, oh, no, 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 Rory, the game at the moment is all in Westminster. This is all about going up to people in the tea rooms and putting your arm around their shoulder. And my answer is they've got it upside down. The way to get MPs in Westminster to vote for you, ultimately, however radical this may sound, is proving that you can win an election because you can't change a country unless you can win an election. And that's how we're going to make this country a better place and a happier place. Rory Stewart, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Rory Stewart on why he should be the next leader of the Conservative Party. Thanks for listening. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
and he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.